Welcome to the Fast Forward Podcast, a series dedicated to answering the challenges that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. One of the most frequently asked questions that we get asked day and daily um, at Tech Manchester is about funding. How do you raise it? Who do you raise it from? And where do you go to find it? When you've got your big idea and you're convinced that it's going to take off and it's going to be the next unicorn and bring in the big bucks, how do you convince other people to give you the money that you need to make that happen? So we wanted to get the founder's perspective on this. Today we have brought in two amazing people who have managed to successfully raise four million for their startup over the past couple of years um, and is one of the fastest growing and exciting brands to come out of Manchester. They've chosen their investors wisely, even turning down some offers from the entrepreneurs at Dragon's Den. So we want to learn all about this today. Welcome Steve Pierce and Sam Coley. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hi guys. Hello there. So I'm really interested to find out, particularly the whole Dragon's Den experience, but we'll get there. We'll get through this all this morning. Um, and I want to start off with find, telling the listeners a little bit about TechX and um, where it is right now. So if you could tell us maybe a bit about TechX, what exactly is it and um, what does it do? Perfect. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for having us on the show. Um, so essentially at its core, TechX is a giant search engine and comparison site for events, attractions and cinema. Uh, and the reason we're building what we're building is that we believe one of the last missing pieces in global travel is when you jump off a plane and arrive in a destination across the world, knowing exactly what events and experience are happening from trusted partners at the best price. Um, and the reason we feel this is a huge opportunity is if you look at it, almost every market globally, there's a giant billion pound aggregator. So if you were to go to book a flight, you'd always use Skyscanner. Yeah. If you were to use a hotel, you'd always use Travago or Booking.com. Yeah. Uh, car rental, rentalcars.com, who are based just around the corner from us. Um, but when you look at the experience space as a whole, it's a £160 billion market across events, attractions and cinema, and there's no single destination for discovering experiences. So that's what we're looking to become, that global go-to destination for discovering experiences. And I think you're absolutely right, because you've just named a whole bunch of uh, platforms that I use on a, on a regular basis. So talk to me a bit about the, the numbers then um, and where the business is. So you've got over over 100 ticket sellers and goodness yes. knows how many tickets and how many users. Tell us a bit about that. So we were launched in September 2015 with the backing of Ministry of Sound, one of our first seed investors. And we'll talk through a bit of the funding journey later on. But mm-hmm. since then, we've grown to over 400,000 monthly active users. Uh, we've partnered with over 150 different ticketing systems and ticket agents, which we aggregate into this one single platform. Uh, we're live in four countries and over the next uh, two to three months, we're going to be expanding that globally by turning on some of our strategic partners. Um, and yeah, really, it's all go, go, go. A, a big focus for us now is really taking this huge array of inventory, which we've got and making it personalized to our user. Mm. Um, so to do that, we have to um, bring on board registered users who tell us their location, their interests, the artists which they follow via our Spotify and our uh, Apple Music integration. And we're We've now got about 300,000 um, actual registered users who are giving us all this rich data. Yeah. Um, and that's growing at about thirty to 40,000 per month. Yeah. Well, it's that hyper-personalization, isn't it, that uh, that people are looking for and that kind of instant gratification? Absolutely. Exactly. So take us back to the beginning, Sam. Um, where did this all, uh, where did this idea come from? Where did it all start? 
Right, so it's, it's probably an interesting one because uh, the idea, I suppose, started with Steve uh, when he was at university in Manchester and struggling to find out what was happening on a night and then trying to find the best deal. Um, yeah. And there's loads going on in Manchester yeah, every like, night. There is a lot going on and, yeah. and Manchester's, you know, a relatively big city, but when you take London, it's a, it's another extreme uh, yeah. of what's going on. So it is a nightmare to see what's happening in a city on a night. And I think that's what Steve identified quite early on in his um, time at university. Mm-hmm. My background was a bit more random. Um, I was up in Scotland at the time and had a tech company. Uh, and what I really loved is I really loved uh, the car comparison model because that was it, it was a kind of the time that go um, compare the market and uh, yeah. all these kind of different players were really advertising heavily, on, and that comparison kind of idea was growing very quickly. So we kind of combined the two ideas of discovering what's happening in a city and finding the best price for the events, yeah. brought them together, and that's kind of how the idea of Tickex kind of began. Yeah. So how did you guys meet? So you're in Manchester, Steve. How did you manage to find? Sam, so, so did you just know each other before uh, that? No, uh, no, we're actually uh, family friends. So okay. our um, our dads used to work together actually at a company in Yorkshire. Yeah, um, and I, you know, met up when they went out for a night out, and I'd been following some on Facebook, and I'd seen they built quite a successful software development company working with big clients. Yeah. Uh, driving a nice car at eighteen years old, <laughs> employing his dad full time, and I thought, right, I need to get this guy on board. Um, so yeah, I reached out to Sam, said it'd be good to catch up. I went up to meet yeah. him in Scotland and yeah, we kind of combined the idea of my, I really came at it from the discovery side, knowing exactly mm. what events are happening and two selling tickets and Sam really saw the value in the comparison. So it was merging those ideas together to form the the idea of, of Tickex. Yeah. Um, just very quickly, you were employing your dad. Yeah, yeah. So I think I was about 17. Uh, so yeah, I started yeah. my software company when I was 16 at school. Um, it grew relatively well and one of the challenges I think I faced at that point is I was, I was pretty young. Um, so as we started doing bigger projects, trust became an issue. Um, mm. You know, was I going to run off to university, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I got an office um, and then I also employed <laughs> my dad as well, which, which made me look, made the company look bigger. And it worked pretty well. You know, the company yeah. started growing quite well from that. So yeah. uh, it's, it's been a really good uh, yeah. journey, but it was a bit of a weird scenario. Work the market. Absolutely. <laughs> so you, you came up with the idea and um, I take it, Sam, you're the technical yeah. Develop. Did you build something? How did it sort of evolve from that idea into launch and then to eventually decide to raise investment? And importantly, when did you decide to do that? What stage was the So, so we started at? building the kind of beta TickX product uh, mm. very early. So I had a software company at the time, but I was in my spare time and weekends, like yeah. I, think I, was work, I was working on building that. And that was proving, you know, the core concept. Um, Steve brought on several ticket seller partners. I think there's about seven in that, yeah. that early stage. Uh, and we managed to prove that we could aggregate them, we could compare prices across across the group and build a product that had, had value. Who were your first seven um, users or uh, customers? Um, the first ticket partner of ours were uh, you know, a great ticket seller in the northwest called Skiddle. Okay, yes. And uh, then we expanded mm-hmm. out into, uh, I think it was Ticket Line, another Manchester-based yeah. uh, seller. Then we just grew out from there. Yeah. Um, and I guess our proposition to our partners are we're an additional marketing channel to help them reach wider audiences and yeah. also drive incremental sales. So um, we, we've got a good relationship with our partners. And how does the business model then work commercially? So it's completely free for our users to use. We don't charge any additional fees. Um, every time we sell a ticket for our ticket partner, we receive a small inside commission as a kind of a reward for mm-hmm. being the, the driving force behind it. Yeah. And that's that's so that's, that's the that's the core there. business yeah. model really. Um, it's just focusing on building a great product, um, which people want to come back to over and over again, yeah. and help our partners sell more tickets. Tickets of choice. Yeah. 
So you've built you built the beta. You got your early adopters. You tested it. You you know you proved your concept. When did you decide that you needed to raise money to take it to the next level? So uh, as Sam points out, Sam was kind of building the platform and it's an evening, some yeah. weekends. Side hustle. This is yeah, a common yeah, thing exactly. in Manchester, <laughs> exactly. side hustling. And I uh, finished university and got a sales job um, for a big global um, tech company and I was kind of progressing through the ranks. But really, my passion was really on, you know, bringing mm-hmm. on board these ticket partners, going out and doing some grassroots marketing to get some initial traction. And, um, you know, the third area I was working on in my spare time was um, on looking to raise a funding round so that, you know, I could leave my job and focus on this, you know, 100% of my time um, on building the business. So um, we we wasted a lot of time initially speaking to the wrong type of funds. You you see a lot of VCs out there, which are early stage VCs, but there's a lot of definitions for early stage. Mm -hmm. Some early stage (laughs) are with 30 million revenue and some are, you know, (laughs) embryonic they've not even got a powerpoint presentation so yeah. i think we we spent a lot of time speaking to the wrong people initially and then we looked at um one of our ticket partners um actually introduced us to uh, a company who incubated them which is one of the most successful app development companies in the world and we actually got through several stages with them and they mm. said at the very end that they're looking to to invest into tickx but they would like to, for us to find uh, another strategic investor so we we thought long and hard who we could reach out to and we were in london and um one of my friends had joined as an intern at ministry of sound okay Kerry junior yeah and he said I, I can't i said do you have the details for the cfo and he said i don't have the details for the cfo but there's the uh, group commercial executive here's his number yeah can't introduce you because i've just joined but <laughs> popping yeah. a course so i don't actually, get me fired <laughs> <laughs> pretty much so just essentially called this chat and it was very lucky that he like had, literally just picked up the phone, rang his the number. Phone. We were in a taxi on the yeah. way back to Houston, and we said, uh, "We're in London. We're through several stages with this um, app development company." Mm-hmm. And uh, Ministry of Sound had a lot of respect for this company we were speaking to, so they said, "Right, well, if they're interested, then it must be a, a good idea and a yeah. good product and a good team." So they agreed to meet us for a, a short meeting. We got on really well. They could see the synergies between the Ministry of Sound brand. They were actively looking for an investment for three years, but they hadn't made one. And um, yeah, we went through several stages with Ministry. We went from speaking to the Groove Commercial Executive, the CFO, their advisors, the CEO. Yeah. And then they passed it around the whole company for a vote. And eventually we, we managed to push it over the line. And Ministry of Sound agreed to invest. And the... Um, global app game company we yeah. were speaking to were just so busy at the time that they decided to to pass. Um, but fortunately, Ministry Sound Baptist, when we were just Sam and I working from our bedrooms yeah. with a handful of users and having the kind of biggest independent yeah. record label in the world backing us was a, a big stamp of validation and it, it really helped us kind of progress um, as fast as we possibly could. That must have been completely insane yeah like. it was at the time it, I mean I still see it on like Facebook when you do when you you know three years ago this happened and yeah. there's a picture of us looking pretty naive probably in, <laughs> yeah. in Ministry of Sound putting so. down the phone in the taxi going yeah. oh my god I know and, and that, that I mean that round was was quite small really it yeah. was £175,000 uh, it was made in Ministry of Sound and also uh, free angel investors as well um, okay. who, who joined in um, and yeah we, that kicked it off and that was Kind of the, the very beginning, literally, we we had a beats product. They had me and Steve, and, and that yeah. was it. So, we you know that's kind of the start of when it became probably a company in, in a way. You know that's when we I think started trying to think about a team and that kind of thing. 
there's a nice story around the angels who backed us in that round yeah. as well. Uh, one of them was uh, Sam's old customers from his mm-hmm. software development company yeah. um, who really believed in Sam and had done some projects together. And he ended up subsequently bringing on board of one of his uh, partners and friends. So they came on board as a two. And then my last day of my sales job, um, I was speaking. It was a, we used to sell like IT technical consultancy and training. Yeah. And um, one of my colleagues who I'd worked with very closely on a big deal to a bank we'd worked on, which resulted in him doing quite well for himself. He he was really upset that I was moving on. We built up a really good relationship. Yeah. And he said, where are you leaving? And I said, oh, I'm going to set up a, a company. And he asked me to send over some details. I thought nothing of it. And uh, yeah, uh, Ricky, one of our angel investors, ended up putting um, you know, a, a decent check into the business nice. and um, helped us get it off the ground. And what other support did those angels, because we are going to be doing an, an episode on angels um, in the series shortly. Yeah, massive. Like what's the other support that they give you and why are angels so valuable to start up at that stage? So, so I think the nice thing about angels is, you know, they are they are a single person generally. Uh, so you have kind of a, generally quite a personal relationship with them. Um, mm. But also they're normally successful people and have been through either creating business or through growth stages. So uh, Keith, who's, who is one of our angel investors, uh, had a very successful accounting company. He became actually our CFO um, mm-hmm. at, at the board level. And that was amazingly helpful at the early stage because, you know, we didn't really know the details of that. Yeah. He helped us with so many different regulatory uh, issues around shares and uh, just all like, the accounts as well. And that is so valuable. And they've been there, done it, you know, they've got the T-shirt. Yeah. And one of our principles from that first stage going forward is to try and surround ourselves with, um, you know, really smart people, um, intelligent investors who can really add value. And that was really important because me and Steve were pretty young at this time. And I think I was 22, you were 23 yeah. when we raised that first round. So we you know, had experience, but it, we were still, there's a lot to learn. So we tried to surround ourselves with quite a lot of experience. Mm. And I think that's the thing, you know, just to pause on, like you've kind of dressed this music fairy tale, like, oh, we've ministry assigned and then we raised this money <laughs> and there were some angels and it was really, really great. But, you know, it's so hard, that whole process, being able to complete that pitch deck and making sure that it is, um, robust enough and has all of those numbers in it that the investors need to see no matter how well they know you yeah. um, that must have been an incredibly difficult learning process can we just touch on that for a second well I think um, you know on that final stage running up to, um, to to closing this round with ministry and our angel investors mm. it was um, I always said I wanted to kind of keep working in my job as long as I possibly could do because it was paying for my yeah. well paying for me to put food on the table really um, but I actually had to hand in my notice before we'd closed the round because I had half a day's holiday left and I used it for the <laughs> for the last meeting. So it was squeaky bum time for six weeks. Um, we were waiting for the round to come in. Yeah. Uh, we had like teams of brand ambassadors ready to go because we knew it was happening, but we just hadn't got it all signed, sealed and delivered. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you do go through a, a huge amount of pressure um, when you're going through these things. So I do, when I'm speaking with founders who are going through it, you can really feel the pain because yeah. we've been there. Yeah. Even before we get to that stage, you know, you you go through so many pitches that you just get wrong. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of them are quite oh, it's cringeworthy actually now. Some, some, <laughs> some of them, but Is that you, when you were talking to the wrong people? And do you think actually people, looking and, back and that was knowing, a good thing to do? Just not knowing a lot of different uh, things as well. So yeah. investors have all sorts of weird terminology. They're like, what's the CAC LTV ratio? And you're like, I have absolutely what? no idea what that means. <laughs> but you don't want to say that, so you kind of just bundle around it and... Oh, it's awful. Um, but you kind of get there. I think um, there's a lot more support now. There is a, there's loads of great online resources. I think as well, which really mm. helps. Uh, we went in pretty naively and um, kind of 
bounced our way around so we kind of got good at it. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was definitely a lot of trialing it, and looking errors. Looking back, we made a lot of mistakes yeah. in the early days. Oh my God. And we feel, you know, we just got so much more knowledge now yeah. going into it. And I think, you know, if we were to start a business from scratch now, life would be so much easier. So you can understand why uh, funds like to back entrepreneurs who have built and built big Something. successful businesses before because yeah. you learn a hell of a lot. I, um, but everybody has to do it the first time. Exactly, you have yeah. to do it the first yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. So do you think, you know, all those wrong people that you spoke to at the start actually was your stomp and grind to learn yeah, that and, and make those mistakes? Because at the time you didn't probably realise it didn't really matter because you never wanted their investment anyway. But We've, um, always, we've always kept very good relationships with all the funds we spoke to. Yeah. Um, and uh, subsequently people who have passed in previous rounds we still speak to today who are yeah. interested to learn about what we're up to, where we're progressing. Um, so I think it's all around everything is a stepping stone and a learning curve. Yes. And without those uh, original pitches where we made some mistakes or um, or where we were asked questions which we didn't have a huge knowledge on at the time, we now know that stuff. Yeah. And we now become, you know, better... Um, entrepreneurs as a result of it. So it's taking the same approach to iterating technology Absolutely. and doing the same with your pitching. 100%. Great. So after the Ministry of Sound then you'd raised your 175,000 you then went on to Dragon's Den. How long after was the you know when was that after the Ministry of Sound raise and sort of what made you decide to go on there? Uh, so after we closed the Ministry of Sound round in September 2015 uh, we'd been progressing, we'd been building out our inventory, our ticket partners, getting more users to the platform. And we'd also attracted quite a lot of uh, media coverage um, as a result of um, working with Ministry of Sound. Mm-hmm. And um, that drove BBC's Dragon's Den research team to actually reach out to us. So we never actually applied to go onto the show. They they contacted us saying, hi guys, it looks like you're working on an interesting business in the Northwest. Um, would you be interested in applying for the show? And... We, you know, we, we did have a funding round in mind towards the back end of the year mm-hmm. and we were, we were seeking investments. We thought, you know, this we never intended to go on to Dragon's Den, but it seemed like a golden opportunity to be aired in front of millions of people, uh, get our consumer brand out there to the public yeah, and also have the opportunity to, to pitch to the Dragons. So we went on to the show, um, they, they, we did the audition We'd done a lot of the questions beforehand, so we were very well. Um, we had a lot of the knowledge. We'd started to see a little bit of growth. Um, we were really well rehearsed on the answers, so straight away we did the rehearsal. The next week we were actually presenting to the Dragons, so I'm not sure if a company had dropped out or if we were just fast-tracked. But yeah. We went onto the show. It's really daunting because we've been watching that since we were little kids. Um, yeah, always enjoyed watching it. I know it's a lot of it is for TV and entertainment. Yeah. But um, you you go in there, it's uh, it's fairly surreal, and we it wasn't the smoothest journey, but we um, the dragons seemed to be excited by what we're building. They could see the synergies between um, how it's been achieved in other markets and how mm-hmm. we're looking to do it with entertainment, and it resulted in them putting in three offers into the business. So um, Nick Jenkins and Peter Jones together offered to invest, and also Tuka Sullivan. But we. Uh, went to the back of the room, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have much flexibility on what we could give away. In fact, we had no flexibility. And, um, yeah, we decided that what they what they asked for uh, massively undervalued the business. So we decided to turn down the offers and uh, go off and raise it ourselves. 
Oh, you can imagine time. on Gogglebox then they're all gone mad. Yeah, <laughs> at, at the time, our uh, parents thought we were absolute nutters. We had all our friends saying that, God, you should have accepted it. And we were actually rapidly running out of money. We needed to raise a round, so it really added to the stress. So we, what we did at that point was we just threw ourselves in every scenario possible. We won Ticketmaster's hackathon with 200 mm. techies across Europe. We um, stood up and presented at EIE 16 in front of 1,000 people. And all these conversations led us to um, go on to raise uh, 10 times more than we asked for in the den from private investors Um by 24 Haymarket, and we've also got some really high-profile angel investors, so the former chairman of B Sky B, and we've got the ex-CEO of Booper, yeah. and we've got a chap who's built and sold two companies for over a billion dollars. Um, so we, uh, it resulted in us making the right decision, but there was a, a period of time where everyone was saying, geez, guys, do you not wish you accepted those offers? <laughs> well, I think it's that looking at it as a marketing opportunity rather than your investment opportunity, and it sounds like you've stayed true to your sort of values, which was, Sam, you said earlier about surrounding yourself with incredibly oh, smart and successful um, people. So, Not yeah. that the dragons aren't successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, be careful what you say. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, in the tw- 24 uh, Haymarket, who led the 750k round, after we filmed Dragon's Den, have been amazingly supportive. Again, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an angel group, so it's a group of, uh, of effectively angels that work together collectively, mm-hmm. which kind of gives you the benefits of angels and all their experience, but the simplicity of dealing with a single contact. Yeah. So it's a really nice concept, and um, yeah, they, they've been amazing for us all the way through the journey. Um, yeah. And we managed to play that uh, pretty well, so we filmed Dragon's Den towards the beginning of the year, uh, but it didn't air until the 1st of January, so it was a New Year special where we aired. And we actually managed to raise our 750k in between the filming and the air, we didn't announce it. So the day after Dragon's Den aired, yeah. we announced that we'd raised 10 times more. And obviously that was, uh, you know, a really Great story. good PR story. Yeah. So we got loads of traction on that and, and that worked really well. Yeah, that uh, sounds like perfect um, following of some of the advice we had in our uh, getting your new your brand in the media advice from uh, Kim at Sky Parlor on our own Sarah Bellew, which was just because it happens in your business doesn't mean yeah. you have to announce it. Yeah. So time it where you can actually capitalise and get the most out of it. Perfect. Absolutely. Well, we've got a, uh, a really great video. We all, well, The team were all in the office. We had the GoPro out and we were looking at Google Analytics and the traffic go went from, you know, uh, an average amount to 30,000 concurrent users throughout the second. So Sam and the tech team were working hard to keep the site up, which fortunately it stayed up throughout it. But um, going from yeah. levels we were at to kind of Skyscanner's level of traffic overnight was yeah. uh, was an exciting ride. And that's one of the things, isn't it? They have to make sure that your site can take the traffic yeah. and those spikes when those things happen because that's the worst nightmare is for it to go down. And, Absolutely, and especially as a tech business, you know, it's yeah. kind of, it's just, <laughs> and me as CTO, you know, there's some, yeah. uh, I don't want it to go down. So yeah, we, we've probably spent about three weeks beforehand planning and building the system so it could mm. cope with it, uh, all for about an hour's worth of traffic. So yeah, uh, yeah you, you have to a lot of build up. And, and the ha- really hard thing is you only get about uh, two weeks notice from BBC bef- when you're going to air. Yeah. So you don't really know. So uh, I was in Iceland at the time and had to fly back to uh, to the office to because <laughs> it was New Year's Day I think we aired on and so yeah it was a bit of a mental Brilliant. period but it was it was really fun and uh, it, it it's yeah. been great for us from a PR um, getting our name out there it's been incredible. So what did you do with the money the seven hundred and fifty I know we're going to talk a bit further about other funds but the seven hundred and fifty what was the first thing that you did with that? Um, the first the 750, we, we built out the, the technical team. So we've got a real um, product and tech focused team. Mm-hmm. And the reason we do that is we want to build a world-class product, which people come back to and over and over again. Um, so we built out the tech side. 
Uh, we also hired our first uh, business development manager, Jess, um, who looks after our UK and international partners. Yeah. And previously, it was just myself doing all the partnerships, all the biz dev, and it was great to just have someone else so that we could progress forward faster and faster. Um, and then we um, we focused on building out a content strategy so that we could grow the um, grow the numbers on who are using the platform and coming back to purchase. Driving the social, driving the funnel. Exactly, yeah. And so you raised your 750, you've done some really amazing things with it in terms of building it out and you had a clear idea, but then you've you've gone on further beyond that. Tell us about the, the latest developments. Yeah, so um, after, so 750 was in 2017 effectively, ran us through, and then at the very beginning of 2018, uh, BGF Ventures, who are an awesome fund based in London, but also have offices all around the UK, um, backed us with a £3 million Series A round. Um, so that was quite transformational because... Uh, until that point, we'd grown the team to, tw- to 12 people. So we, we were a nice little team at that point. Um, and then, yeah, they really saw the value. Our vision had grown as well over 2017, I think it'd be fair to say. We we went from just wanting to be a, a search engine for events in the UK uh, to really broadening that to being, we want to be the destination for experiences. So events, but also cinema, attractions, um, and not only just the UK or just Europe, we wanted it to be worldwide. So the kind of opportunity grew Um and that really excited um, a lot of investors, in, including BGF Ventures, and, and they led that round. And how did they find you, or did you find them? I think, um, so, so, I think we met them at a, a networking event in Edinburgh. Yeah, so we know it's one of these weird ones. We'd known um, BGF Ventures for a long time, uh, way before we were ready for them, if that makes yeah. sense. So we kind of built a, a base relationship when we were a tiny, Just got tiny on the company. Radar. And that, that was really amazing because they'd seen us go from literally nothing to, you know, achieving certain milestones. And then when we did come to them thinking, right, we're ne- we think we're now at the stage where we might be interesting to you. They had actually seen and we'd proved ourselves and mm. they'd known us for a while. So it made the conversations a lot easier and they really got the business as well. I think what's amazing about BGF as a fund is that they're a two and a half billion pound fund and they largely back growth stage businesses, so a bit later stage. Um, but they do have the, um, the venture side, which is who we're about. By. But we've met with, Loads of people in the Grove team in Edinburgh, Manchester and Leeds. And then we, when we met the Ventures team, we realised that as a whole fund, it's just got such a great culture. They're really good people to work with, incredibly well connected and have really been a, a big help in uh, supporting our journey. So it's not, again, it's not about the money. It's about the whole kind of holistic oh, sort of offering that these investment partners can provide. Yeah, it's incredibly important. We're spending a huge amount of our time with these investors and we want to make sure that we can get on with them, we can go for a beer with them, we can share the achievements, but we can also share the challenges with them because we're all in this together to try to build something which is incredibly valuable and deliver a return for all. So your advice then in terms of making sure that you choose those investors and obviously serendipity has played a part in your journey, but I think when you work hard, luck finds its way to you sometimes. Um, you know, so you kind of make your own luck, I think, is that there? Absolutely. Yeah. What would be your advice for people who are at that sort of earlier stage, going through their first round at the minute uh, or looking for their first angel investments? Um, what would be your advice to choosing who they should be approaching? The best advice we got, which I think is really quite simple, is just make sure you feel you can go for a, a beer with your investors. And it's, it sounds stupid, but it's make sure you have mm. a kind of personal connection to them where you could on a kind of in a social basis spend some time with them and get on well. Because if you don't have that as a foundation, it's going to be a very hard relationship because, as you know, everyone knows, it's, running a business is a highly stressful uh, experience. You go through loads of great highs and also lows and challenges all the time. So you do need a, a base of kind of a friendship as such 
might be a professional friendship, but something there that you can work with and you both respect each other. And we've kind of taken that principle to heart and, you know, we've we've kind of turned away investors that we didn't think would fit well with us culturally and how we how we operate. Um, and, and, you know, equally, it means that you have a great relationship with investors, which is so much more important because the money, don't get me wrong, is really important. Yeah. You do need, we do it's need it to survive, thing, but it's not the only thing. Yeah. Would you add to that, Steve? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I completely agree with everything Sam's just said there. Uh, I think the companies who are going out to um, to raise around, you also need to show that you've got serious skin in the game. If it's not capital, you need to show that you are literally bleeding from the eyes, working as hard <laughs> as possible to get this idea off the ground. Um, Within then, reason, though, because I think there's the other side of that coin where people work themselves. Like, if you're not well, if you're physically and emotionally not well, do you know what I mean? Like, is that balance there is? Yeah, there has, there has to be a balance, but I think in those early years... Mm. The balance has to be leaning towards working bloody hard. Yeah. Um, and we're starting now to realise that you you can burn out if you do do too much. So we 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 do go away for a, a weekend now, but we also mm. still we're in the office every Sunday. Um, but I think what you need to show is that you have are able to get something from an embryonic idea yeah. towards something which is even if it's just a minimum viable product, you've shown that you can attract maybe a technical co-founder or a co-founder. You've shown that you can potentially bring on board your first partner to show that you've got um, some degree of sales skills as well. Yes. It's just showing that you can get to stage one without having the some form of capital because yeah. the capital helps you grow faster, but it... It doesn't help it, you start. You can't just rely on money to, to grow a business. No, and it sounds like there's so much learning to do to, you know, before you even should be given any of that, that yeah. money. Yeah, well, I think that's, we went through kind of uh, different stages of investments. We built up to it, um, you know, mm. the 175K at the time felt amazing, you know, it was an incredible amount of money from nothing. Um, and equally then you can have learned a lot through that stage uh, without burning too much money and then you get to 750K yeah. uh, and then you build up again. I think what would be really challenging is if you raise, you sometimes see this in the America where you could have run out of the blocks of $10 million and it, it must be so easy because those little mistakes that cost us two grand in that first stage were costing you a hundred grand in that later yeah. stage. So it is a really important learning curve. And I think that staging up is really important. Um, so doing kind of lots of smaller rounds is it works well. You have to balance that though, because doing a funding round is quite time consuming, especially for the founders and the whole team. Uh, so it's a distraction, no doubt. And it's trying to balance that. Between working on the business and raising the money to drive yeah, it forward. Exactly. So TechXN, um, for both of you personally, what's the goals for the next 12 months? Um, so we're putting a big focus on internationalizing in the platform. So we're going to be expanding into a load more countries across the world um, and bringing us closest to that sort of travel and experience market. Um, we are also really focusing on personalized discovery. So... Uh, really onboarding our users to understand information which they tell us they like, so the location, the interest, whether they're interested in stand-up comedy, theatre or music, and also syncing their music services so that we can provide really useful recommendations. But we also look at a huge amount of passive data on the site as well of what people are clicking on, what time of the day, what um, day of the week, are they price sensitive, do they prefer cheaper events or expensive ones, to build these really pro high profiles around the users so that we can provide. Yeah. And uh, not just show people what they're looking for, but also provide recommendations. And our goal is to try to grow the size of the live entertainment market, to get more people to go to live entertainment. 
And I think the market's working in our favour at the moment that people are definitely spending less money on things and material goods and more money on going to experiences, experiences and sharing it with their, their loved ones. And I'm noticing it with my buying patterns. I know I'm a little bit biased from an events company, but <laughs> I think um, you're seeing it with all our friends now. And I think you genuinely feel good when you go to these events. It's good for your, it's good for your head. It's great to share these experiences. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a really exciting growing market. I think we're all at that point where you know we all have all the things that. You know, it's not like when we were kids where you were really excited, you know, about you know saving for a year to get those power trainers. If you want the power trainers now, you just go and get exactly. them. Exactly. So it's those experiences and um, yeah, I'm absolutely all for that. So the vision for the future then, where do you see TechX in five years? So I years? suppose our, our long-term visions for the last few years have all been the same. We, we want to be the kind of go-to destination when you're planning a day and night out anywhere in the world. So in the same way, if you're looking for flights, you go to Skyscanner or mm. hotels, you might go to booking.com or Trivago, we want to be that when you're thinking, I want to go to the theatre, I want to go and see a sports game, uh, and that could be a worldwide. Uh, so that's a big ambition. Uh, it's a massive market. But we're kind of in a, we think, a really strategically good place to 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 achieve that. We've you know already got 150 ticket sellers, and that's growing rapidly. We've got, we're live in four countries at the moment, but by the end of this year, we expect that to be a, a huge array more. Um so that's that's where we were, we're going, and you know we've seen it in every market. If you you know in, in the hotels, travel, everything, yeah. it's been done. This aggregation model It's not been done in experiences yet, and that's our mission is is to nail it there. It's been really interesting to to listen to your story, particularly your backstory and how this all uh, came about, and understanding that how important those stepping stones are for people that are building that sort of funding um, journey for their startups. And um, so to wrap up, then. Um, you know, your top tips for um, the, the listeners, those people, what would be their sort of key takeaways and, and five top tips from you guys uh, in terms of how to raise money? Um, I guess one of the top tips we've found is that uh, as an investor, um, and you can understand their position of this, everyone wants to invest in a company which everyone wants to invest in and no one wants to invest in a company which no one wants to invest in. So... <laughs> A key thing when you're raising a round is you have to get a lot of conversations going at the same time and really play the excitement, really get a lot of people talking. And uh, you've also got to work towards some form of deadline because otherwise just things get pushed back or meetings get delayed. So you have to have some form of target you're working towards. And then throughout the progress, the when you get these conversations going at the same time, you have to be time it so that you're going to have a few key achievements during that period yeah because the reality is you're not going to raise around within three four weeks it's a two three four five six month process so throughout that period you have to be showing momentum you have Mm -hmm. to be showing some wins you have to be thinking wow i need to be investing in this company otherwise i'm going to miss out so it's just getting as much excitement as possible building the momentum absolutely i think the other thing is um it's very easy to kind of get obsessed with the percentage of company you own. I uh, see when I speak to other young founders as well, um, people are scared to give away 10%, 20% because they see their share diluting. And, and actually, you know, the, the best way of thinking of that is would you rather have 100% of a thousand pound business or would you like to have 1% of Facebook? Uh, you know, you'd be very happy with 1% of Facebook. So <laughs> yeah. don't get obsessed with how much equity you have in it uh, and think more about the value of that uh, and the kind of, I suppose, the mission of, of the company is to, in every round and throughout the time, grow the value of the company. And if you do that and you balance the dilution enough, 
your value, your personal value in the company will go up as well. So mm. sometimes you see people get really obsessed about valuations on one side and, and the equity, the percentage equity they have in, in the business. And actually, sometimes bets take a step back. Um, there's some great tools online for checking this. And what you'll see is if you if you chart it out, what happens through more and more funding rounds, the actual dilution you feel as a founder gets less and less. Uh, what, what are some of those uh, tools that are online? Just for um, people who might not know them. Uh, I, I don't know the exact name, but you, if you Google like dilution um, charts for yeah. founders, there's loads of tools and okay. it's essentially spreadsheets and you can kind of put in the values of each round. Um, because the way to think of it, you know, in the first round, if you give away 20% of the company, that 20% is coming out purely out of your founder's pot. So you've just lost 20%. But the next 20% is coming out of your pot and the other investors, the other 20% as well. So... Every round, the dilution you feel as a founder gets less. Um, And if you don't think about that, uh, you can get very obsessed with valuations, which are kind of a vanity metric at the early days anyway, and, you know, not giving away equity uh, and raising too small a round, which again can kill you. Yeah, I think valuations was the topic that came up yesterday. I had an interesting conversation. It was about, you know, where sort of early stage um, valuations come from and it's a, it's just a negotiation isn't yeah. it it's just an argument between two people I think it's worth this well I think it's worth that I know um, Sam touched on this point earlier just to reiterate it when you're choosing investors who you want to back your company just make sure that you have some good relationship with them and you feel that you can build a great rapport and work with them closely for the next 10 years because it's incredibly important when things are going well, it's great. Um, when there's tough times, you want to be able to have, you know, real open, honest and transparent conversation. And that's one of the things which we tried to do really well over the years of, you know, provide really regular reporting, um, be as open and transparent with our investors as possible. And um, yeah, we've had a great journey. But we've also had our angel investors who've been reinvested into two, three rounds and they've been very supportive. And I think part of that is a two-way relationship. Uh, we We try to be as good to our investors as we possibly can. Yeah, so build those strong relationships and make sure that they're built on a basis of trust. Definitely, That's yeah. what you're saying. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. I am very excited to see where TechX goes to over the next uh, couple of years. No doubt we will be buying all of our uh, tickets through <laughs> your platform and it will be our uh, one of our primary apps on our phones. So. Um, for the listeners, I hope that has helped anyone that's on that funding roller coaster and given you some insight in terms of some of the work that you need to do. And uh, we hope that gives you a better night's sleep. Thank you. Thank you, Trish. Cheers. Thank you.